Yo, hey everyone, it's Adrienne here. Welcome back to the podcast. This week, I'm joined by business founder, entrepreneur and author, Grace Beverly. And we recorded this episode on Grace's publication day of her brand new book, Working Hard, Hardly Working. It's a really interesting conversation about business and work ethic and what it really takes, digital entrepreneurship and why we should all avoid hustle culture. I really enjoyed this conversation with Grace, so let's dive into this week's episode. Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week I speak to a variety of guests from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Grace, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to chat today. Well, firstly, you know, we have to start with a huge congratulations. Today is your book publication day and it's your first book, Working Hard, Hardly Working, and it's out today. Yes, I know. God, it feels so insane. I mean, I'm sure you will have had the same thing, but, you know, you finish writing kind of six months or so before and then it just, there's kind of that that lull because you've, you've done it and you're ramping up and you don't really expect the publica- publication day to ever come. Um, and so now I'm like, it, it's it's strange, but it's so exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, we share an editor, Anna. So if you're listening, Anna, we love you. (laughs) We love you, Anna. (laughs) So before we dive deep into the book, Grace, let's kick off with a little bit about you, because honestly, you have an incredibly impressive list of achievements. You're the founder and CEO of not one, but two successful businesses. You've been listed on Forbes 30 under 30. You have over a million people following you online. And, and let me just take a breath and take a moment because she's only 24 years old. (laughs) Excuse me. So Grace, can you give the listeners a little bit of context as to what's the reality of that journey? What's that been like so far for you? Um... (laughs) <laughs> it's been amazing. I mean, I mean, to be perfectly honest, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy where I am. I think I would be, you know, I write, wrote this book because I wanted it to kind of be a realistic representation. I didn't want it to be something that was like, how to be grace, like, this is how you do this. And I'm like, you know, I'm 24. I know, I know very little. So, um, you know, for me, for me, it's all about um, kind of sharing what hard work, I guess, more realistically looks like, um, mm. rather than just kind of saying, you know, yeah, I work really hard, I don't sleep, all of that. Um, that's not the case at all. So it's been, it's been, you know, I started my first business about four and a half years ago now. Yeah, it's kind of been, it's been kind of long and short at the same time. Sorry, very roundabout answer. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of started that in my first year at university. Um, and uh, it's been a whirlwind since then. But I'm very excited to kind of be where I am now, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, when you say that, you know, I started my first business in my first year of university, even that statement, you know, some people, I didn't actually go to university myself. But what I hear is that, you know, the first year it's freshers, everybody's out drinking, it's a great place to meet guys, it's just party time. (laughs) So if you're starting your first business and studying at the same time, even that, you know, do you think that mindset of, have have you always had an entrepreneurial kind of 
mindset or was it something that you just was it was it a hobby was it just to just to dip your toe in the water what what was that like well I guess the platform so so I built my social media I guess a bit bit before I went to university so I was working um for a year before university at IBM as an intern and um I while I was there I'd really kind of built up my social media when I just wanted to I was trying to get into fitness really so I used it as very much as an accountability tool um and then by the time I got to university um I I wasn't intending on I guess starting a business um but it was a very needs must thing at the time. So I'd already sort of monetized little bits of my online presence, but not much. And then I really ran into an issue with student finance and was suspended from the university for not being able to pay my fees um, because the student finance hadn't come through. Um, and so essentially, I it was a kind of needs must thing at the time. I wasn't expecting it. And actually the first business, what's now Shreddy, um, I actually kind of conceptualized and built and launched within a few weeks, uh, which was very different from my second business, which was kind of conceptualized over a year before that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was hectic and it was hectic throughout my whole time at university. I wouldn't say I had a classic university experience at all, but I also, you know, it's it's put me where I am today. So it's not something I would change. Um, but what I really wanted as well was kind of that realistic representation of what that does look like and how hard work can sometimes really be really shit. But also I sometimes, you know, I end at five and I go to the park and it's great. Mm. And you don't need to be, I guess, to be like an entrepreneur or to be a hustler or hard worker. You don't need to never sleep um, or kind of, you know, post graphics with lines in the background telling people that if they don't come out of the pandemic with a new business, then they never lack time. They just lack discipline and everything. Yeah, I mean, we all we all hear that a lot right, right now. So often when we listen to interviews uh, of founders, particularly if you're listening to podcasts or or YouTube interviews with successful founders about their journey, I kind of feel like there's two camps. And often I see either the founder will say, oh, I've been incredibly lucky. You know, I didn't have a plan. One thing led to another. You know, I just wrote a few things down on a napkin and suddenly they had this <laughs> accidental success. And then, you know, then six months later, I sold my company for a 500 million pound valuation. And <laughs> this is, you know, you hear this like accidental, you know, success then the other side I often hear is you know people will say I was very strategic I worked really really hard I never took no for an answer I just kept on going I had this relentless pursuit that whatever happened I was gonna make this plan work and I just kept going kept going kept going so I'm sure there's lots in between but Grace for you would you say that with yeah building your businesses building your online platform building your your profile would you say that that you always had a plan or was it more serendipitous well I think I can actually probably sit in both camps um with each business um so you know as I say with the with the first business it it was in a way a lucky coincidence right place right time being with the social media world and growing on you know growing in that kind of fitness influencer space and then really understanding what I guess the customer wanted from that type of brand and really developing that brand identity um and kind of growing it into what Shreddy is today whereas with Tala it was a lot more not intentional, but it was it was a lot slower. It was a lot more gradual, and it, I, it was very kind of you know what you'd classically imagine to be starting a business. So you know, I spent a year before we even launched um, conceptualizing it and sourcing manufacturers and um, building a team and working out a plan and a strategy and um, 
And so that was a lot more of a kind of long haul. And since then, I'd say that, you know, even if you stumble across a gold mine, essentially, and um, have a fantastic idea and this, that and the other, that, I guess, only gets you so far. You know, scaling a business is really, really tough. Um, Mm. And I'm only in the early stages of it, I guess. And being able to build a team, make sure the culture's still there, make sure the customers are still happy, make sure that when you're spending huge amounts on new orders because you're trying to scale, you have everything else that kind of balances that out. Um, And and for so I, I kind of feel like, you know, even in the areas where... I feel like with Shreddy, for example, it was very gradual. It was a lot more of a kind of, oh, this works. Let me replicate that. Let me do more of this. Let me try that with this product. Um, you still kind of then have to really hone that and learn and and try and grow and fail a lot of the time and then go again. Hmm. Yeah. And something you mentioned then was, you know, really knowing what the customers want. And, you know, I mentioned at the start about how you've had so much success and you're so young. And I think actually, I really think that in the way the, the the world order if you like when it comes to business now due to social media and due to the kind of way in which consumer habits have changed due to social media I really think there's a huge benefit in that which a lot of companies I think are missing out on so for example mm-hmm. companies where you know all of the board of directors or all of the decision makers and all of the leadership team or all of the you know they might be a, all a similar age which is usually typically you know maybe it's late thirties, they might all have, you know, a similar amount of experience. And and I think that looking at someone who's 24 and saying, well, you know, they're junior or they don't know enough about business or they don't know enough about, you know, they haven't scaled a company before, but actually I think that missing piece and really understanding what a customer really wants, you know, listening to that tone of voice of youth culture of, you know, understanding this is what people want. This is where they're going to spend their money and actually just being, you know, bold about that. I think a lot of people, if they really understood that, even if they're not starting their own business, even if they work for a company, but saying, Mm. you know what, I might be junior or I might be young, but listen to what I have to say, because I know what my customers or what my audience or what my peers, I know what they want. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree wholeheartedly. I'm often, I guess, asked to speak about kind of Gen Z and how to market to them and what they want from brands and all of this, that and the other. And I think that that kind of goes to show, you know, I think a lot of the people who will then be listening in those types of panels and and reading about it and thinking like, oh, we need to storytell or we need to do this or our brand identity needs to be this authentic or whatever it might be. They're also then overlooking the fact sometimes that there are fantastic you know, Gen Z and millennial people within their companies who could give them this exact advice. Like they could, you know, they could be saying, you know, what do you consume on social media? I know recently, for example, we've had to hire whole new people because I don't understand TikTok. And I, and and a lot of the people then in my social media team, they might be really great on Instagram or something. And they're like, oh, well, I don't use TikTok for this. So we've had to kind of say, you know, I'm not going to go to someone with 10 years experience in that. No one has that. So it's much better off to have someone who has a good attitude and, and kind of fits the culture and really understands what people want. And I think in part, you know, there's been, there's been a lot of right place, right time. There's been a lot of hard work. There's been a lot of all these other things. Um, But one of the huge, I'd say, factors in the success of the companies has actually been that for both of them, I have been the ideal customer. So I have matched up exactly to what we see our target demographic as. So, Mm. you know, if it's Tala, it's someone who's into fitness, who also has an eye to kind of looking at what fast fashion is really like and wants to change that but actually doesn't necessarily have the disposable income to or doesn't feel it's right to pay 150 pounds then to have something that's sustainable 
and and won't necessarily I guess the kind of difficulty between that decision of mm. buying something that isn't when it's you know a hundred pounds cheaper and so really understanding that and being able to hone that as a concept has been invaluable and I think actually then you know I often I often do that thing where you know I talk to these amazing people who want to talk to who want to talk to me I guess about the business and and to potentially come on board and be part of like a leadership team and I'm kind of saying like oh well you know you're obviously the experienced one here and I haven't I'm I'm very inexperienced very inexperienced and what I've actually had recently is of is some people I guess saying you know actually no one's experienced in or there's only a certain amount of experience you can have in the social media area and and in the kind of like brand and product and what these people really want. And actually, if you know it, you know it. It's not about spending 10 yes. years there. It's not about spending 15 years there. It's about having that kind of heightened observation and being able to work out what works and then to replicate that. Yes, I really hope people hear that and take it on and think, you know what, what you know, what your contribution is valuable. So really, yeah, know what you know, be commit to to getting behind your idea or your voice. And actually, you know, my role, at, so I'm, you know, the director of innovation at a startup, a fitness tech startup. And I think, you know, often people say to me, they're like, what is that director of innovation? But essentially what you're describing there, you know, it's something that I certainly think about all the time is just really observing, as you said, like what is actually happening in terms of, you know, right now in the fitness industry, obviously with the huge disruption of the pandemic, what does that look like for, for, you know, regular people who whether they're working out whether they're you know how how they interact essentially online like all of these things are connected I don't think they're separate anymore either around like business or social media or marketing like they're all just it's it's everything is connected into one so yeah yeah I I think so for sure and I think that where people are actually recognizing the value and where they're able to I guess benefit from the value is where they are recognizing exactly that where they are you know where people with experience the best thing they can do is actually acknowledge that often I I guess often less experience in this area is actually really valuable and if you can keep an open mind to that and an open mind to what people can bring to your organization like I find it really important for example to value everyone's opinions no matter where they're in so we ask customer service our customer service team about product we asked you know we 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 ask these questions to the whole organization because we all wear clothes or we all do this. And so actually being able to learn from that and keep that open mind and really value that difference of opinion, no matter how experienced people are, I think is incredibly value valuable. And the companies or the organizations or whatever that aren't doing that are probably missing out on the real nuance of what it means to be a brand now. Yes, totally agree with you. So hope that they're listening. <laughs> Take note. <laughs> Okay, so let's dive in deep and talk about the book. So what, in a nutshell, what is the concept of working hard, hardly working? So in a nutshell, probably little <laughs> little elevator pitch would be that it is aiming to give a realistic productivity blueprint for the new working world. So understanding the change in what is the new working world? Why are we now interconnected? Why do we now have no boundaries? Why do we think we're, you know, work shy and entitled and not able to do anything, but also feeling really burnt out and feeling like we're at the end of our tether and feeling like we have to be monetizing everything. Um, and the idea behind it was, I guess, to give a blueprint or a you know self-helpy business type look at something that actually values both productivity and self-care rather than 
valuing one or the other um, and actually sees them as two sides of the same coin rather than two completely separate things that you have to choose whether you identify with self-care or whether you identify with productivity. You cannot have one without the other. Yes, because that polarization that you describe, mm. people often try and put that to me. They'll say, you know, with my concept with power hour and with, you know, getting up early to do something that I want for an hour, people, you know, can sometimes misinterpret that actually and say, oh, it's just, you know, get up early and do more. And actually when yeah. they really, yeah, either read the book or like understand, they're like, oh, actually saying to someone like myself, who is a mother, who is working, who is doing all these things, yeah. that actually taking time or taking, you know, setting boundaries, as you said, to create something something for yourself that's not about productivity necessarily it's not about just do more but it actually as you say it can be both it can be productivity but it could also be that actually running for me is my is my self-care it is my yeah. time for myself you know yeah and and sometimes self-care like at one point will actually be getting something done and like there's no point sitting in a bath if your you know your to-do list is extremely long and then also, sometimes self-care will be will exactly be that will be like sitting back with a face mask or going on a run. And it's where the blanket applications come in, where it really seems to miss the point or it seems to, I guess, take us all as one, which is never going to be helpful. Mm. Yeah, because we've definitely seen that, I guess, in the last year with the pandemic. Every time you see the word self-care, yeah, it's this idea of somebody in a bath with a face mask on. And yeah. you're so right. That isn't the only form of self-care. And actually, sometimes yeah sometimes that's not even helpful like you said if you've got loads of things that you really want to get working on or if you've got loads of things maybe that um maybe just something that you want to do that excites you or that you enjoy it doesn't yeah, yeah it doesn't have to be this idea of yeah lighting candles I definitely agree <laughs> with that so also let's talk about hustle culture and actually this term hustle porn so mm-hmm. for any like young entrepreneurs or multi-hyphen solo career types then they're probably very familiar with both of these terms but for anyone yeah. listening who just went wait what hustle what why you know what is hustle porn and hustle culture and why should it be avoided so I would say that hustle culture is probably the, I guess in a succinct way of putting it, would be, you know, the over-glamorization of the idea of working all the time and the, I guess, this idea of kind of performative workaholism. So the, yeah, just this glamorization that you should be working all the time and if you're not, you're not working hard and if you're resting, you should be working and if you're resting, it's always a failure and you're always foregoing um, more money that you could be making or more success that you could be having. And I guess the the reason for it is that online reward mechanisms value that type of rhetoric and that inspirational rhetoric. And I'm sure for some people I will be, you know, I'll be like that. And every time I post a photo of when I'm working or whatever, that will be, I guess, furthering that. And so the idea of kind of, I guess, how we combat it is being able to understand that landscape and understand what that does to us or individually, not necessarily as a whole, and how we can bring these analyses more within ourselves rather than just thinking oh well this person does this I need to do this well this person's successful in this way so that's the only way to be successful Hmm. yeah I mean I've certainly seen the hashtag you know never not working or one that I saw recently was either working out or working and he basically (laughs) said something in the caption around like if I'm awake I'm either working out or working and I was just like oh wow and actually you know what I I don't know what you think about this Grace (laughs) but (laughs) how do they eat (laughs) right but you know what I'd be interested to see what you think about this Grace because I actually find this is so ironic but 
if I'm super busy with work and I've maybe I've got a deadline or when I was working on the book or when I'm, you know, if I've got multiple things and for whatever reason, the, the schedule just gets really busy. That's when I am not online. That's when I am least active in terms of, you know, posting Instagram stories, posting Instagram, tweeting, because I'm actually head down doing the work. But then when I've got mm-hmm. more free time, maybe if I've got like an afternoon where I'm like dancing around my kitchen and I'm like doing Instagram stories or I'm answering questions and DMs, then actually I'm online more when I'm working less. So the irony of people posting all the time talking about like work, I'm either working or I'm working out, work, work, work. I'm thinking you're not working that hard because you've got time to do Instagram stories every five minutes. <laughs> yeah. And I think the, the, also the difference there is that, so, so I've kind of thought in that way before, and then I found myself slipping into the idea of being like, oh, well, you know, actually I'm sure you don't work hard. I'm sure it's out of insecurity that you want to be like saying this or showing how hard you're working. And then I've also realized that actually because of the existence of all of this, it it perpetuates itself so much further because I know, you know, there'll be certain people who I'm sure think that I don't work hard or that I'm only the face of my companies or this, that and the other. And actually through that, then it means that when I am working at 2am, I'm like, oh, you know, maybe I should post an Instagram story that will show that. And it's like, where has this come from? Like, I don't, you know, it creates this perpetuation of both hustle culture because we feel like then we need to justify ourselves and show that we're working hard, not just on my level, but on a micro level too, so that you can, you know, when your friend from school has just got a promotion, you know, you're also working hard or whatever it might be. Um, But there, you know, there's just this constant surrounding of it, Mm. meaning that, you know, you either benefit from it and look like you're working hard or I guess are not able to, participate in the culture at all which you know perhaps that is the answer yeah you know what that's so so true because it is this idea of like hang on a minute who am I having to justify for example with (laughs) myself if I'm yeah again like working hard on a project or I'm offline sometimes I just you know I'm just offline for a couple of days and I'm doing stuff and I feel like yesterday was a good example where I posted some stuff on social media during the day because I was at a shoot I was performance coaching and directing a shoot and then I literally had to jump in the car race to pick my son up from school and then from when I got home with him it was you know cooking dinner doing homework reading his school book getting him you know stuff ready for school I don't post any of that online but it's still a part of my day and it is interesting as you say to kind of go well if I if I do post that then it's like look look at all these things I'm doing I'm doing the school run Mm. I'm a mum I'm doing it all I'm working whereas if I just post oh I'm going out for a run then it's like you know it's really interesting because as you said it's like when did this when did this even enter like this kind of having to think about you know not just ourselves but what other people are thinking about what we're doing it's insane and also often so subconsciously because it, because we don't, you know, we don't want to think like, I never want to think like, oh, I am narcissistic and I'm posting this because of this, that and the other. It's more become something that is actually so ingrained in us and ingrained in our society that actually we not necessarily almost need to do it, but it's just an instinct or it's something that we then find ourselves playing up to in order to feel, to kind of feel part of it or whatever. And I think that's where, you know, it's it's really tough. And I, I guess, as you say with that as well, one of the important things that I really wanted from the book is also to point out, you know, like a mother of three who works part-time or something is just as susceptible to burnout as, you know, someone who's kind of working in a corporate job with a side hustle and this that and the other and 
we value different things on social media um that are often not easy then to apply to a more real life example um and therefore it's quite hard as well to you know to analyze these different things and to understand why we're individually burnt out and what that looks like for us um and and how to i guess combat it yeah and actually just like you said what that actually looks like because I think so many people Mm. now they're just used to saying oh I'm exhausted oh I'm so tired oh I'm so busy and they're Mm. kind of they might not be burnt out to the point of you know medically burnt out but they're kind of just they just they've just accepted that oh well everybody's exhausted everybody's work and it's just like no this isn't this isn't okay to just accept that actually you're always constantly exhausted whether that is because of your corporate job or because of yeah working part-time with three kids I think Mm. everyone's just kind of set the bar in this weird place that's like it's okay to have a headache every night I'm like it's really not yeah and I also think there's part of that too where you know we talk about burnout and we talk about this that and the other and actually you know as you say there medical burnout is very very different from the idea of kind of constant like mini burnouts that seem to have been on the rise recently because of the way we work and because of the lack of boundaries we have around work so that we're constantly you know we're constantly working or we're constantly constantly kind of thinking about how we should be working and monetizing every hobby um and and I think we are seeing this rise in I guess what people wouldn't consider burnout but they but actually is a form of kind of temporary burnout where we just sprint and work as hard as we can and then think oh god I can't go anymore and actually we need to reframe that and change the idea of rest from something that's a reward for working too hard to something that is just essential and should be in our everyday probably even every hour um and actually a more um kind of staple part of our everyday lives Yes, and I should probably, I'm going to hear that because I should hold my hands up and admit that that, that sprint idea, I definitely mm. have that set sometimes. Oh, even, you know, <laughs> even just in the week, I'm like, okay, I know that today's really busy and I know I've got, I'm going to get up early and do this and I know I've got to train and I know I've got to, yeah, do, do homework and I know I've got to do all these things, but by the time I get to Saturday, oh, I'll take some time to rest. Yeah. And, you know, that's life sometimes, but I definitely yeah. think that I, yeah, I'm guilty of like this sprint mentality, but then before you know it, you've been in the sprint for 18 months, you know? oh absolutely and it's 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 a problem when it becomes a way of life I guess and a way of working that we think is the only way you can work rather than just uh, I guess a needs must amount of time I mean it's incredibly ironic while I was writing this book obviously I was probably working as hard as I ever worked in a lot of ways because of you know have needing to run the businesses and do and write the book and do this that and the other but it's actually what it needs to be is a more realistic analysis of, okay, what does the norm look like? Then also realising that sometimes you're going to be 90-10 work to play. Sometimes you're going to be 50-50. Sometimes you're going to be much more personal because you're having mental health problems or you're, you've got a friend who's really suffering or you're dealing with grief or a breakup or whatever it might be. And actually it fluctuates, but the you need some sort of consistent understanding of where where that differs and and where your boundaries are at each point in that cycle I guess yeah and to find space I guess for for new things so another thing you talk about in the book is you know creativity and you you know you list out creativity triggers such as reading drawing listening to podcasts etc to kind of help spark creativity so why do you think it's so important for us to cultivate that time to create space for us to be able to be creative I think I found this really important. I, this was one of the things, you know, throughout my time writing the book, and I'm sure you will have had the same. There was um, 
you know, there were things that I'd kind of think of or I'd experience at work and then take a note of them to kind of come back and talk about it. And this was one of those things where I was like, do you know what? I don't always have space to be creative, but sometimes I just need to smash it out. And sometimes I have to be like, it can't, you know, you can't always give yourself... I mean, when people say like, oh, to be creative, you need to sleep more. It's like, okay, well, I'll just sit at my desk and sleep more last night then. I'll just go back in time. Thanks so much. (laughs) Um, And actually being able to look at it more as a, you know, there are things that we can carry throughout our lives and, um, you know, I guess try and do better. But there are also the majority of the time there are times where we just need to sit down and kind of say, okay, in this moment, what can help me be more creative? And for me, that's usually writing down a few sentences or even like drawing a picture or doing a mind map. Um, And it's important to recognise that whilst, you know, we need to give time and space for creativity, sometimes that time and space doesn't exist. And sometimes we just need to get it out because it's our job and it pays the bills and all of that. Um, And so I wanted that to be, I guess, an acknowledgement too, um, in order that, it's not just one of those things where it's like, this is how you be more creative. And I'm like, well, I, I don't have time to do that. I need, I have a deadline. Um, and so that was really important to me. Yeah, yeah. Because that creativity kind of romantic idea of, yeah, like you say, like somebody in dungarees with paint. Yeah, exactly. Go <laughs> exactly. For, yeah, like paint And picture. I'm like, all right, I'll just travel two hours then. Yeah, exactly. So we need to be able to, I guess, have some, yeah, tap in sometimes to just like, okay, I need to feel creative now. I need something that's going to, I guess, yeah, spark some inspiration or maybe just, maybe just keep, as you said, keep it going until you do have that time to do that. Yeah, 100%. So another point which I wanted to bring up today that I highlighted for this conversation was when you talk about the echo chamber effect and essentially, Mm -hmm. you know, echo chamber is being surrounded by people who essentially just share many of the same beliefs or values as you. And therefore they're kind of just reinforcing your existing views. So for whatever that is, whether it's your work life, whether it's your relationships, your environment. So what does that really look like for you, Grace? So is that online, offline, you know, in terms of Again, being someone who is, you know, you're the CEO of the company, right? So if Mm. I kind of think to the projects that I run or the things that I do, I don't think it's helpful, for example, if I'm in an echo chamber of people who kind of think the same as me, who are interested in the same things. And also if they're supporting me, then often, you know, that comes from a good place, but they might just say, yes, Adrienne, yes, Adrienne, yes, Adrienne. So like everything, you you know, that's good. That's good. That's good. And for example, with the book, it wouldn't be helpful for us to get someone to just appease you and go when you're editing or when you're, when you're writing to just tell you everything you're doing is great. I really agree with all of your views and all of your points. Actually, what we need is the critic, right? We need someone who's there to kind of, you know, be, be critical, but in a way that's going to help us, help us to improve, help us to be more self-aware and reflect on our work or on our ideas. So I'm really interested, as I say, as the CEO and as someone who is in a position of leadership most of the time, what does that look like for you? How do you avoid that echo chamber? Um, I think I think that's a really, really good question. I think it's been actually something I've been thinking about a lot recently. So, you know, I you know, you're completely right. I'm I'm the CEO, I'm the founder. It makes it probably quite hard to sit in a room and disagree with me if I have an idea. And something I've been really concentrating on is trying to cultivate a culture of discussion and of not necessarily devil's advocate, because I don't always think the devil needs an advocate, but I think that, you know, there's an important thing in being able to just diversify your ideas and and have a discussion i think one of the most important things in business is that you know if you don't have people with different views or different backgrounds or or different perspectives in the room then you're going to 
come out with something that's then going to be in a culture that is actually filled with all of those different people and different opinions and everything. And your product or your marketing campaign or whatever it is, is not going to be prepped for that world. And also it's just going to wholeheartedly often miss the mark. So I think the really, really important thing for me has been trying to cultivate that as a culture and some and, and a culture that I guess rewards those different opinions and rewards those questionings of oh do we actually think that's a good idea or could we do it more like this or do you think this could come across like this would people potentially not like that um and and for me that has been really important but I also think it's easier said than done um and and it's mm. something that you need to constantly work on because you know you can say oh please come to me with different opinions but actually kind of encouraging that not disagreement but discussion and um bringing of different perspectives has to you know it has to have I guess it won't always be the easiest thing for some people, um, Mm. especially when coming from, you know, going to your manager about it or whatever that might be. Um, But then I also think there's the importance of, you know, echo chambers online um, and understanding that, for example, with myself on social media, yes, there are problems with with. I guess, you know, there will always be things on social media that you don't necessarily like or that make you upset. But actually, one of the main things for me is that I'm on social media as a business owner. So I need to also have a way of, I guess, communicating with people um, and and understanding where criticism is constructive and where it's things that, you know, it's feedback from customers. And actually, that's a huge privilege to have that type of feedback loop with customers and a lot of bigger businesses don't get that so actually realizing how I can use that to my advantage and to make sure that I am surrounded by that difference of opinion um in order to I guess make products the best they can be yeah yeah and I I was thinking then the way I describe it is sometimes you know if I'm quite I wouldn't even say it's combative, but I describe it as, you know, thoughtful disagreement. And often I'll yeah. say, you know, and it also just communicating that if I'm challenging someone in, you know, at work or in, in a situation, I'll say, look, we both want to get to the best outcome here. And I'm not doing this. I'm not saying this to be obstructive. For example, if we're trying to make yeah. a decision, A and B, A versus B, I'll often say, well, why are these the only two options? What about C, D, E, F, G? Yeah. Let's, let's go back to, you know, let's think of more ideas. Let's come up with more options, more routes. And I sometimes think, you know, yeah, it probably does it could be seemed as quite obstructive of like, oh, Adrienne, come on, like we just need to, but I keep doing it because ultimately I'll say, yeah, we all want to get to the best outcome. And I think for someone, maybe if you're listening to this podcast and they're not, you know, a business owner, they're not the person who's in the leadership role making the decision, how can people, I guess, have the confidence to have that conversation, whether it's with their manager, whether it's with a work colleague and say, you know what, I think that there's a better way here or I think you might be missing something or could we revisit and explore this um, or start it or also just saying this is not good enough we need to start again yeah. you know yeah. how can people yeah have the confidence to communicate that in a way that will be well received well I think it's a really difficult question and I think it's entirely missing the mark if I'm just to say oh you know challenge things at work say this that and the other and you're sat in a big boardroom of people who look nothing like you or are 20 years older than you or like it's not realistic the important thing I guess you need to know your audience you need to know your workplace culture you need to know what types of people respond to so if you have a manager that you know doesn't like new ideas then it's going to be more challenging and there's going to be a really it's going to be tough to approach and you're going to have to do that in a very specific way so it's important to know that like know your audience know who you're interacting with 
But ultimately, the best thing will always be having a workplace culture where there is that where there is that difference of opinion and where there is that challenging of opinion before it ever goes out into the world. And you are doing a service to your organisation by doing that. And I guess what I would hope it was that any, I guess, any managers listening to this um, or any business listening to owners listening to this, that actually to really start trying to encourage that um, as you know, I always say, like, if anyone says, like, oh, just a suggestion, not sure if it's a stupid idea, I find it so important to say in that moment, like, please never say that. Like, nothing is stupid. Even if you say something and I'm like, okay, no, I don't agree, but thank you for saying that. That needs to be cultivated. That needs to be uplifted as part of the culture. Otherwise, you can't you can't expect anyone to be able to um, to be able to kind of come with these ideas and to be able to enhance your product. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely the environment and the culture as well as just the individual. Because I do think women specifically, I mean, we haven't even mentioned the fact that predominantly, probably for both you and I, Grace, are probably a lot of the time, well, for me anyway, um, there's a lot of men, you know, it's a very mm-hmm. male alpha environment. And I think for a lot of the women that I work with, it's just, it's too often put on the woman to be like, you know what, use your voice. Women should speak up. Yeah. Women <laughs> should blah, blah, blah. But it's like, if the environment, as you say, doesn't yeah. cultivate that, if it's not well received, if, if, if the people in the room don't want to listen to the woman speaking, then it's no good just saying to women, speak up, use your voice, yeah. you know, ask for promotion, ask for more money. It's just, I think too often, actually the culture now, yeah, says to women, you know, in a room full of men wear a red dress you're the person yeah (laughs) yeah I know and I I actually read a really interesting article recently um on Harvard Business Review um which was stop telling women they have imposter syndrome um and it was by these two amazing women and they're essentially saying you know stop considering why women have imposter syndrome or telling them they have imposter syndrome and start making workplaces better for women and that will be so vastly multiplied as well when not being when being in a predominantly white environment or when being in a you know like there there is you can't just say to people like you need to be the person to step out and you need to be this you have to foster that exact culture of difference and of valuing difference of opinion difference of background difference of perspective otherwise the onus is once again on people to step out who actually are not in a place that, you know, as in if it, if you're making workplaces that don't make other people feel comfortable, that's a problem with the workplace. That's not a problem with people who won't speak up. Oh, amen. And actually, Grace, I've one thing I want to share on this because it's just been in my mind all week. So this is a great opportunity to bring it up. And if you're listening to this and you're resonating with what we're saying right now, then please get a pen and write this down. Because literally, I read something the other day that was talking exactly about this. It was talking about imposter syndrome for women. And I thought... I was talking about like language and, you know, again, being an alpha, being in an alpha male dominated environment. And, you know, I'm definitely both of those things that you just mentioned. So I'm a woman and I'm a woman of color. And it actually said, you know, give yourself practical tools that you can use. And one being, instead of saying when you're in a conversation, a discussion or via email or in face to face in a meeting, instead of saying, well, I think this, or, you know, I believe that, or not that you shouldn't, you know, start your sentence with those things. But actually, if you really want to go in and like we say, and have this conversation that might be difficult, kind of set yourself up. So go in with three points. Maybe you've got some data to back it up. Maybe you've got an example. Maybe you've got a customer and actually go in and say, in my experience, this, this, and this, or the data that we have from the last 12 months 
shows yeah. us that this is going to work. And like, instead of saying, I think we should, because I do think yeah. that often, maybe it's male or female, I don't want to be too binary in that. I just think, that, when I heard that, I was like, yes, because I do that quite a lot. I'll just say, this isn't just my opinion. The data says this, or this isn't my opinion. Actually, in my experience, this has happened nine times out of 10. So yeah, I think that might be useful for people to do instead of just going, I think we should do this. I think the important thing here is it's not just people saying, oh, we need to be more open in terms of perspective or we need to have difference of opinion. Also, on top of that, apart from it being an entirely humane and right thing to do, the data also points to the fact that that is incredibly beneficial. So you're removing the onus from yourself on placing yourself in a position where you're the advocate for change or you're the kind of person saying, oh, you know, I think we should do this and if it doesn't work, it's all on me. And saying instead, like, the data points to this, so let's try this. Let's think outside the box in a way that's not, you know, it's just not. It's not just me saying this. I'm, I'm bringing you information mm. that you know either we haven't tested yet, or is you know it's just something we should be exploring. All the data points to this. Yeah, exactly. Back it up. Okay, so before we move on to talking about the Power Hour, I would love to just hear from you, Grace. Just one final question on the book, and that is. What is the impact that you hope this book will have? So I think first and foremost, what I really wanted from this book is for it to be that, I guess, that more realistic productivity blueprint. Um, So, you know, I want people to gain a more realistic sense of what hard work looks like. And I guess the answer to that is that it looks different for everyone and looks different at all times. And there's never going to be this one view of like, this is what the hustle is. And this officially means you are successful or you work hard enough. So that for me, you know, is first and foremost, I really wanted that. And I guess it was important to come from me in that way too because you know I'm a person who will be perceived as a hustler to lots of people or perceived as this that and the other and for me to say you know actually the majority of the time I get eight hours of sleep I actually find that really important and I don't function well off that um you know and often work looks like this and often it looks like this and I just kind of I I think also beyond that I want a real fresh take on the idea of productivity and the working world for our generation um and for me that's really really important because actually i think there's so much literature and thought around our or or millennial and gen z with not enough analysis not 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 enough analysis of it by by gen z millennials there's a huge amount but not enough of that is valued a lot of the time it's kind of well this is what gen z and millennials are like this is how they work. This is how they don't work. The end. And actually, I think it's really important to get more of that from, you know, from the people themselves and to start really analysing this work culture and how much it's changed and what that means for us. Hmm, absolutely. And to hear and understand why, because there's always reasons, you know, if you look at the boomers or you look at the the economy at times where there's cultural shift there's always a reason so i think it's also important to look at why well if we're if we're going to stereotype millennials as having this specific attitude towards work maybe there's a reason actually when you look at the economy and you look at you know how different it is for us for example to buy our house versus our parents yeah. so you know there's so many things in there and yeah i really hope that people will dive in and and, and enjoy the book as much as i did thank you So that leads perfectly onto the Power Hour because we've talked about hustle, we've talked about self-care, we've talked about a lot of things that I guess would, would lean into this idea of 
the power hour so i'd love to know grace what is your first hour of the day typically like what time is it what do you do what don't you do Oh, okay. So I'd say at the moment, usually I'm up around 6.15 and I, the first thing I do is I work out. So my really important thing for my morning routine is everything's set up from the night before. My workout clothes are out, my normal clothes for after my shower are out, kind of reducing the amount of decisions I have to make in the morning. And that's not because I want to be some like hyperproductive machine, but that's just because my brain doesn't work well in the morning and I'm better off setting myself up for success, being perfectly honest. Mm -hmm. Um, And then... um, yeah, so I, I work out and um, then after that, or actually what's probably important to note is that I know I am most productive um, first thing in the morning or I'm most creative first thing in the morning. So actually, if I have a huge amount of work to do, I'll move my workout to later in the day um, and I'll spend that time um, working. But I do like to get my workout out of the way because I, I like also for things not to get in the way of it. And I find that it really does invigorate me for the day. Um, but yeah, really important for me has just been understanding actually how I work and how the best way I work is often in being, um, you know, understanding that that creativity comes first thing. So if I need that creativity and I need to get a lot of things done, then to just smash it out at that time. Yeah, so whatever whatever takes priority that day is something that you choose because you know you want to, yeah, I guess, prioritise it for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And is there anything that you avoid in the morning? So, for example, some people on the show have said, you know, I never look at my phone in the morning. Other people are like, I do my emails in bed. Uh, some people say that they fast and they miss breakfast. Other people say that they literally have, you know, a, a shake that's got 27 different ingredients in it so is there anything that you avoid because you know that in the past like if you have a certain thing in the in the first hour that it's going to throw you off um oh I, I so I think actually I I avoid overly scrolling but I'm I'm not going to lie and say that I'm one of those people that kind of doesn't go on social media at all. What I do do is when I first wake up or my alarm goes off or something, I leave my phone on my bedside table while I go to the bathroom and wash my face and everything. I don't bring my phone with me um, to do things in the morning because I actually, I have a visible kind of, I really see how much, not not just social media, but I think screen time in general affects my day and my creativity so if I'm getting up that early I might as well be doing my work properly um and so for me that's really important just to make sure that I'm not you know that I'm not setting myself up for failure in that way yeah yeah I think a lot of people are definitely you know wake up go on the phone and people you know I think I saw something recently it was a stat that said the majority of people especially in lockdown um Mm. touch their phone in the morning before they touch another human being or a pet Um, And it was kind of challenging people to say, you know what, if you have a cat or a dog or, you know, a a girlfriend, a boyfriend, kids, whatever, maybe try and see them before you see your phone. Yeah, no, I I completely get that. I mean, it's impossible not to see my dog because he loves sleeping on my head. So um, (laughs) I think I actually accomplished that one pretty well. No actual fault of my own. Great. Okay, we're going to go on now to the quick fire round. So try and keep the answers short and sweet. Um, Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, so first one is, what is the best thing that you have bought that brings you joy for £100 or less? Oh, God. Okay. Um, I'm really bad at quickfire rounds. I should have said this before. (laughs) Um, Oh, a nice notebook. Always a winner for me. Yes. I feel like a nice notebook. Lives with me three months. Great. Okay, one book that you recommend that everybody should read. Um, 
educated by Tara Westover. Great. Um, one thing that people could do starting today to improve their work-life blend or work-life balance? Um, start planning your rest in as part of your schedule, not just your work. Great. And the last one is, if you had one extra hour each day, so I'm giving you a bonus power hour, you can have 25 hours in every day. What are you going to use your extra hour to do? um, Probably very little. (laughs) I think that's what I need more of. Doing nothing. Blank space, white space, yeah, as I call it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, that's nice. I think I really, I'm always interested to hear what people say when I ask them that question because, you know, I'm, I'm pretty obsessed with the concept of time. And I think yeah. that people always say to me, oh, if I had more time, I'd do this. Or when I've got more time, I'm going to work on that. And I always think when I say to people, what would you do with an extra hour every day? Sometimes they'll say, oh, you know, I'd start that project. And I'm like, well, you need to make it happen then. Or other times yeah. they'll say, oh, I'll just do more of what I'm already doing. And I think, well, how wonderful is that to kind of think, yeah. actually, you just want more time to do exactly what you're doing right now. You must be in the right place, you know? Yeah, no, 100%. Well, thank you so much, Grace. I know you've got a busy day today. As I said, it's publication day. So congratulations again. And I'm sure for anyone listening, if they don't already, where can they find you online? So they can find me at at Grace Beverly on Instagram. Um, and if they are interested in the book, then it's working hard, hardly working in all good bookshops. And please try to support smaller bookshops. Awesome. Thank you so much, Grace. And thank you everyone for listening. Please let us know if you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to rate, review, share all that good stuff and stay safe. Speak to you soon. Bye, Grace. Thanks so much. Bye.